Welcome to this week's Wireless Noodle, where I'll be delving into the breakup of IBM, a couple of fascinating technologies in the form of DECT 2020NR and the digital annealer, and a snapshot of some of Transformer Insights' work on IoT forecasts and what they tell us about the market. Along the way, I'll be giving you one of the most cursory explanations you'll ever hear of quantum computing and further expand on the ideas around unicorns that I shared a few episodes ago. My name is Matt Hatton. This is the Wireless Noodle, your weekly guide to the impact of disruptive new technologies on business. First, to talk about a big news item this week. In a very interesting move, one of the big companies that I watch, IBM, has decided to split its business into two. Nuco will be focused on managed infrastructure services, so that's legacy enterprise ICT infrastructure. IBM will carry on focused on hybrid cloud and AI. That includes technology platforms, particularly based on the OpenShift platform from the recently acquired Red Hat and digital transformation thrown in for good measure. Essentially, it's splitting between the mature legacy parts of the business and the new growth ones. The markets liked it, with shares going up by 6%. And I have to say, I liked it too. There's always going to be friction in an organisation that's trying to maintain an existing product base while also going out to find new markets. One almost always ends up being sacrificed for the other. It's analogous to the conversations which I've shared a little bit of the flavour of during some of the previous podcasts that happen within enterprises trying to implement new technology, IoT or whatever. If it's left to the IT department, then there are always problems. They're responsible for keeping the wheels on, or they should be in most organisations. And almost everything else gets sacrificed for that, which means that handing new initiatives to them can often mean slow progress. Better that there's a different group, a CTO office perhaps, that handles the new stuff. Just as within a company you can only really be responsible for day-to-day or new expansion, I'm also rather of the view that a company can only be a growth business or sweat assets, but can't really do both. Ultimately, no business is really well organised to do both things. Let's talk about Kodak. Blimey, technology conversations always come back to talking about Kodak, but let's talk about Kodak. It normally gets trotted out as a cautionary fable for technology businesses. People often talk about it as a failed company. Its market evaporated and it failed to pivot to digital, despite having made some interesting innovation in that space. But I've got a different perspective. Perhaps what it did was rational. What are the chances that Kodak would have been a digital photography leader? Moderate. So it would have had to go through radical upheaval, probably sacrificing its legacy business and sinking in pots of cash in exchange for a moderate chance of being a leader in a new market. This is survivorship bias from another angle. The assumption that Kodak would have succeeded if it had pivoted, obviously. But not obviously, of course. It was one of dozens of players, many of whom had much deeper pockets and much more of a heritage in consumer electronics. The ultimate irony is that, as it turns out, digital cameras was a market that would be supplanted by camera phones anyway. So even with hindsight, people think Kodak should have pivoted to a market, digital photography, that would have evaporated in a decade anyway. I would argue that Kodak made the rational choice. Batten down the hatches, cut costs, 
sweat your legacy asset for all it's worth, and write a poetic valedictory farewell. Very occasionally, companies do make effective pivots away from legacy businesses and towards new growth markets. Nokia used to be in the paper business. They used to produce rubber boots, and then they made mobile phones, and then they didn't make mobile phones. That also brings us naturally on to IBM. It has a strong heritage of dropping, divesting, call it what you will, legacy parts of its business. PCs being the most obvious thing, which it did, what, 20 plus years ago. And it's perhaps not too surprising that it's chosen to move away again from the legacy business, this time spinning it off into a new entity. There's a risk to this strategy. If you keep on rolling the dice, you'll get a one eventually. But sticking with a legacy business is a risk in its own right. This brings me back to the idea of unicorn companies that I discussed in episode nine. Often big tech companies try to imitate unicorns. They do this by imitating what they think is the characteristic of a successful company. Beanbags and pool tables, perhaps. But actually, the main characteristic of a successful startup is that it has a lot of peers that fail. Big companies don't have that luxury. As such, they're going to be generally better at taking advantage of one surefire advantage that they have and riding that as far as it goes. That might be scale and incumbency. For instance, it's hard but not impossible to start a new car manufacturer. Or it may be a scarce resource, such as a mobile network license. Those kinds of advantage guarantee a certain scale of success and longevity, but not super normal margins. I come back to the telecoms industry time and again, not least because it's the one I know best. Telcos often fret about relatively low margins, and in part this is caused by strict regulation. But strict regulation is necessary where you have a triopoly, as you do in most mobile markets, for instance. Barriers to entry there are very high. You need a permit from the government and a hefty chunk of a scarce resource, mobile spectrum. In exchange, you're guaranteed a big slug of revenue and an almost cast iron guarantee that you're not going to go bust. 15 years ago, Nokia, as a mobile phone maker, was huge. Today, it doesn't exist other than as a licensed brand. And in the meantime, the mobile operators have chugged along doing what they do. The brand names have changed a bit and there's been some M&A, but ostensibly it's the same companies. Slow and steady won the race. Which brings me back to IBM. Incidentally, I'm currently writing a report specifically on the subject of this split for Transformer Insights. IBM is not in a safe space. It is in a highly disruptive space and it's pursuing a strategy of cutting itself free from its low-margin, safe space. But it has demonstrated in the past the ability to adapt to new technology trends. But the biggest challenge is not so much which technology areas it focuses on, but the fact that it's trying to move from being a services company to being a products company. It has in the past demonstrated the ability to shift from hardware to services. This next shift it's putting in place is about moving from services to software products. This, more than any change in the technology focus, is the biggest challenge. Next up, I want to introduce a new little segment in the podcast, which hopefully will be a regular recurring one, where I talk about a great new technology or vendor or two that I have come across recently. The first is the rather dull-sounding DECT 2020 new radio. Actually, I could have talked about this in the context of the news section, 
as they were involved in a fairly big announcement last week about Etsy introducing a new standard. The standard operates in unlicensed spectrum in a dedicated frequency band at 1900 MHz, although it can operate in loads of other bands. It uses all sorts of clever modulation techniques to deliver ultra-reliable and low-latency connectivity for low-bandwidth IoT devices. Great, we've seen a bunch of technologies that do that already. But thanks to some clever interference management techniques, it can operate as a mesh or a hub-and-spoke system, even with incredibly high density of devices. The self-organizing capability means any given node is able to dynamically adapt to performing either role. I'm going to pop a link on the Wireless Noodle website to the press release so you can check out details. All this means that for dense IoT networks, for instance smart metering, you can drop in a cellular device every so often and then have the other devices mesh with it. It has all the self-healing benefits of a decentralized architecture and all of this without the need for infrastructure other than the occasional backhaul device. Range of each device is about 5 kilometers. There's also good power saving functionality, although obviously that depends on what role the device might be playing. Battery life could be five years though. I think this genuinely looks like a fascinating new access technology, albeit in a space which is pretty cluttered already. The big contributor to the standard has been a company called Wirepass, which has been operating effectively this technology for a while using 2.4 gigahertz spectrum. Genuinely fascinating and a lot of potential to this technology. The second technology I wanted to flag up today is Fujitsu's digital annealer. Some of you will be familiar with the concept of quantum computing, specifically that it's a probabilistic system based on quantum bits or qubits whose state as a one or a zero is rather more flexible, shall we say, than in traditional computing. And what's a probabilistic system? Well, it doesn't know what the answer is, but suggests what it probably is. And this can be very effective. It's much the same way that I used to be very good at pub quizzes but not by knowing the answers. I don't know that many answers, but I'm a pretty good guesser based on how questions are phrased, the level of difficulty of the other questions, things that are likely to come up, etc, etc. The digital needer is described as being inspired by quantum computing, specifically to solve what are called combinatorial optimization problems. And again, what are combinatorial optimization problems? I hear you cry. It's where you have a complex system with lots of moving parts which are interlinked. An example might be a staff scheduling or school timetabling or supply chain logistics. There are probably lots of ways of solving a problem, but there are also probably some optimal ways of doing it. The digital Anita is used to optimise these systems, running many cycles to identify what is probably, and increasingly likely to be, the optimal configuration. Very interesting stuff, and useful in all sorts of fields of study that we have at Transformer Insights, such as system, workflow, transport or logistics optimization. That's a couple of interesting texts that have come across my desk in the last few weeks with very, very abridged explanations. If you want to know more, get in touch. Part of the reason why things have been a bit quiet on the podcasting front for a couple of weeks is that we at Transformer Insights have been publishing a set of press releases featuring our newly expanded IoT forecasts. And we're going to be running a webinar about it on the 2nd of November. I highly recommend you check it out. I just want to whet your appetite a little by sharing some of the areas that we've highlighted in the new research. First up is 5G. There's a lot of talk about 5G at the moment, sometimes to do with the amazing services and products that are available as a result of it, and sometimes people burning down base stations. 
Either way, it's hitting the headlines. From the perspective of the industry, though, the interesting thing is that there's a lot of companies looking for use cases to justify huge investment. The people flogging 5G tend to speak about IoT as a killer use case a lot, so it's worth digging into it a bit. The message from the forecast is that 5G in IoT will grow quite rapidly, but there's a big caveat. Overall, we expect cellular technologies, i.e. those rolled out and run by mobile network operators, to grow from 1 billion IoT devices at the end of 2019 to 5.4 billion at the end of 2030. Pretty healthy growth, but not exactly a hockey stick. Of that 5.4 billion, though, 3.3 billion will be 5G devices. Which sounds like a stonking win for the technology, doesn't it? But, and it's a pretty big but, of the 3.3 billion 5G devices, 2.7 billion, or 80%, will be using the narrowband IoT and LTEM technologies which already exist today. The reason why we count these as 5G is that they've been dragged kicking and screaming into the 5G standard as Massive Machine Type Communications, MMTC. As I described it in the press release that we issued at Transformer Insights, this is not an overwhelming rush for high bandwidth, low latency connections as facilitated by 5G. This growth in 5G is predominantly a reflection of the recategorization of these MMTC technologies and their successors as 5G. Ignoring the MMTC technologies, LTE remains the workhorse for IoT. And of course, in the press release and in the webinar, we'll be going into which applications are using 5G, where the option is going to be taking place and so forth. On the subject of these low-power wide area technologies, of which the new MMTC technologies are one major component, we also have some interesting findings on this. From just 220 million devices today, this will grow to 4 billion devices in 2030. This group of technologies has a lot going for it. The devices are low cost. There's rapid network rollout happening, and they have capabilities which are well suited to loads of IoT applications. We expect big things. About two thirds will be the MMTC technologies I mentioned earlier. The other one third will use other technologies, predominantly LoRa. Of these other technologies, about half will use public networks i.e. where there is a network operator that sets up and runs the network, and about half will use private networks, where the organisation that's using it sets up and runs the network itself. Which is a neat segue into the third topic I want to talk about, which is private networks. Specifically, actually, mobile private networks. So not the unlicensed LoRa networks that were relevant to LPWA. This is about, again, 5G networks. Mostly it's for factories and ports and similar campus-style environments. And actually, as it turns out, quite a lot of use in agriculture, according to the forecast that we've done. Which makes sense. Lots of mobile operators see private networks as a good opportunity in 5G. Although, truth be told, most private networks don't really need the capabilities that 5G delivers. Nevertheless, there's a lot of spectrum being made available for private deployments in various countries. In Germany, for instance... 74 licenses were issued in September for Lokala Netzer using 3.7 to 3.8 gigahertz spectrum. They were issued to companies like BASF, Bosch, BMW and some companies not beginning with B. These forecasts of private networks remind me of another piece of news that came out this week. In fact, this whole episode could have been based on news items of the week. The item was Verizon announcing that in conjunction with Nokia, 
it will be offering mobile private network services in Europe and Asia PAC. Now Verizon is a mobile network operator in North America, specifically US only. However, it does provide enterprise services around the world. And now it's extending that to mobile private networks. No reason why not. Good opportunity to extend services into non-footprint markets as far as I'm concerned. Please don't forget to register for the webinar on the 2nd of November where you could hear much more from the whole team at Transformer Insights about this stuff. Next week, I'm going to be talking about, amongst other things, some of the interesting discussions that I'm going to be having at Total Telecom Congress. I'm chairing a couple of sessions. One looking at smart cities, the other focused on how telcos make money out of IoT. They'll be available on demand. I'll put a link on the Wireless Noodle website. And I'll be talking about them and the great insights from the panellists on next week's episode. I'll also be digging into some interesting news and some more interesting tech. And another reminder about the webinar. It's on the 2nd of November at 8am Pacific time, 11am Eastern, 4pm UK, 5pm for most of Europe. A link to register is on the Transform Insights website on the events page. And I'll also pop a link on the Wireless Noodle transcript. I hope you can join me both for next week's podcast and for the webinar. Links to some of the research that I've been referring to in this week's show, as well as the transcript of the recording, will be available on the podcast website at wirelessnoodle.com. Thank you for joining me. I've been Matt Hatton, and you've been listening to The Wireless Noodle. Thank you for listening to The Wireless Noodle. If you'd like to learn more about the research that I do on IoT, AI, and more, you can follow me on Twitter at Matty Hatton, and you can check out transformerinsights.com. That's transformer with an A.